Blog Talk Radio. And welcome to The Balance. It is qualifying weekend here in Indianapolis, where we're located high atop the Balance Studios in the west suburbs of Indianapolis, just about 10 minutes uh, from us, 10 minutes to the east of us, lies 16th in Georgetown. And at 16th in Georgetown is the greatest uh, spectacle of racing in the world, uh, and that I refer to as the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And it is the GameBridge uh, qualifying weekend. Uh, I believe we're going to be joined by Tony Donahue here in just a moment uh, to break down what's been happening all weekend, uh, all week. Uh, certainly uh, beginning with Fast Friday. Um, Sato has had the fastest on, on all three days. So we've got the young guns and the old guns uh, ready to, to uh, see if they can't get on the P1 spot. Uh, we got some rain in the uh, schedule today, uh, so we'll see what happens. Uh, there's certainly some greater chances of showers in the afternoon, so we've, they've moved uh, practice time up uh, to 11 o'clock. I mean, to qualifying up to 11 o'clock. Practice is going on right now. Of course, we're live. Uh, it's 10 o'clock Eastern here, and they begin uh, practice around 9 o'clock uh, Eastern. So today, you know, it's it's uh, it's racing. That's what it's that's what it is. And that's what we're going to spend the whole show talking about, thinking about remembering, you know, just how special the Indianapolis 500 is. Um, and, you know, just kind of uh, take a walk down the memory lane on, on a few things. We're going to remember uh, Al Unser Sr., Uncle Al. Of course, this is the <clears throat> first year without Robin Miller. Uh, if you've been around racing at all, you know who Robin Miller is. Certainly a very well-accomplished journalist and uh, in the Hall of Fame as well. Uh, so we're going to be remembering him, uh, Al Unser, and just going to be talking about uh, the, the track and the, the memories of, of it and, you know, why is it such a special place? And that's kind of going to be our agenda today. 917-889-8516 is our digits. Uh, you know, so just, you know, enjoy a, a walk down memory lane as we uh, – as we uh, get get things together for qualifying, uh, standing by for uh, Tony Donahue. Hopefully, he he could join us here in just a a second here. <clears throat> but uh, we'll, we should be able to uh, get on with that here in just a moment. Um, we'll effort to try to get a hold of him. My name is Tom Marquez, El Presidente. We'll be right back right here on the Balance Radio Network. <laughs>
National Guard is a reserve component of the United States Air Force and serves alongside active duty Air Force members in times of a national crisis. In addition, the Air Guard serves the state and local community in a wide range of capacities. The reason people join the Air Guard is as diverse as our members and includes such reasons as a deep desire to serve their country, money for college, travel, new job skills, and the pride that goes along with belonging to the greatest military organization in the world. I joined because I felt a calling to serve my country, but I didn't want to be far away from my family, so the Indiana Air National Guard was a perfect fit for me. With over 95 different career opportunities to choose from and 100% paid college tuition to any state-funded college, why not give us a call? Call 1-800-841-3103 or visit online at goang.com to find out more. Again, that's 1-800-841-3103. The Air National Guard, guarding America, defending freedom. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like, early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about anything. Morning face. You get it when you don't sleep well. This is what happened to Linda. Morning, guys. Good morning. Ah, what is that thing? It's me, Linda. Oh, my God, it talks. Run! No, it's me, Linda, from HR. It looks hungry. Save the children. Save them. Stay back. I've got mates. No, they're my eyes. We're moving. It's called beauty sleep for a reason. And there's never been a better time to get some. Get 20% off IKEA Sultan mattresses. IKEA, love your home. Oh, hi. Uh, hey. Seen on the board, do you guys have Black Rifle coffee here? <laughs> no, I'm sorry. We only carry good small batch coffee here. Well, it is great small batch coffee. Well, that really can't be unless it's fresh roasted, so, um, you know. Well, it is fresh roasted. I don't, I don't think you know what that means. You know what this is? This is Masa Lekwah Piquet, which, of course, in the Indonesian language, oh, let me finish, in the Indonesian language, it's weasel coffee. You just made that up. No, it's been passed through their digestive tract. That's disgusting. And then it's nature's wet processing. Yeah, but is it good? I mean, it's all right. Are they... Investor philanthropists, do they support good causes? Yeah, tons of causes. Veterans causes and first responder causes, but it doesn't matter because they make good coffee. So that's what I'm wanting. Do you have any? You know what? Actually, I'm, I'm just going to order it. They make it fresh and roasted. Okay. Right. Black Rifle Coffee. It's good. Give me fuel. 
give me five, give me that which I desire. Welcome back to The Balance. It is qualifying weekend, like I mentioned uh, before, down at the Indianapolis uh, 500. Uh, you know, with the potential of rain in uh, this afternoon, uh, the first day of the qualifying. Now, let me let me just help you wrap your arms around that word. We've got 33 cars. We've got to get qualifying. We've got to get them in a certain order. And, and that Covenant P1 spot will come tomorrow, we hope. Or Monday, if they can't get everything in today. But qualifying for the Indianapolis 500 is one of the biggest events <clears throat> of the year, for that matter. But certainly one of the biggest events every year uh, for the drivers and the and the fans. And it's just a, a great opportunity. You know, we used to say, okay, are we going to see 230? Are we going to, you know, and we're going to go through some of those fast speeds of what we've seen so far uh, today in practice and uh, what we've seen over the weekend uh, here in just a moment. Still efforting to uh, get a hold of Tony Donahue. Efforting is the word that we use there. Hey, get your ass on the phone with us. No, just kidding. I'm sure he's very busy. It's, he's down there at the track and uh, practice is going on right now. So we may have to uh, move him to the back of the line. Uh, we'll see what happens. If we don't get him, we'll we'll catch up with him in in the near in the near future. Uh, but you know, let's just talk a little bit about how special the Indianapolis 500 is. It is. If you've never been, first of all, shame on you. Go wherever you're at. Go. Just take a, a year. If you don't get there this year, get there. Put it on your bucket list. You know, because it is a special, special place. <laughs> I, I get goosebumps just uh, thinking about it and talking about it. So, yeah, bear with me. But, you know, as a kid, I used to go there with my grandfather, and we go to qualifying. Used to call them time trials uh, at, uh, uh, during that, that time. And, wow, I have times have, have changed. We thought it was we thought it was cool when we were when we were seeing speeds of 200. We thought, man, that's 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 pretty fast. All right, we're, you know, we're getting speeds up to, to to 200. You know, and and now we're looking at, at fast speeds. You know, just in practice today at 234. That used to be the mark. Hey, are we going to hit 230? Are we going to hit? You know, and so what makes this place special? Well. There's a lot of stories. There's a lot of things that that everybody has their own story and their own history. And, you know, uh, just the, the, the history of that track is incredible. I, mean, I would encourage anybody and everybody uh, to go check out the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Museum. It's right on the grounds. And, you know, you can go there while you're there at the track. Uh, we're, we are going to be out there later today ourselves. Uh, if the rain holds off, <laughs> we're, man, we're, we might be making a, a rain day, uh, game day decision. Uh, as we know that last uh, last weekend uh, with, for the uh, Grand Prix, we ran into some rain showers. So it was a lot of fun to watch that race. But it, they did finally get it in. Uh, but it was, uh, you know, uh, a, a lot of fun. 
so you know i think everybody has different uh thoughts when it comes about the indianapolis 500 you know let's think about some of the of the greats um and there's only been a handful of people to win the uh win the uh 500 more than three times i think it's five times or Elio. Or, or four times. I'll, I'll double check that, but it's four or five uh, times. Uh, so it's very, very hard to win. But some of the great, great drivers that we know of and the names that we hear all have roots with the Indianapolis 500. Let's talk about the Andretti team. My, uh, Mario Andretti, uh, the the father uh, of uh, of the the patriarch of that whole family. You've got you, there's a whole line of Andretti's, um, you know, and we're going to talk about one of them here in just a minute. We're going to take some time just remembering people uh, today, and we're going to we're going to talk about Robin Miller. We're going to talk about some others as well. And uh, but but the, some of the great names that we have in racing have roots with IndyCar and kart racing. Everybody remembers that, right? We we kind of want to forget that time in our history, but you know it's 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 a healthy time to look back at how things happen. And of course, you know there's the whole story uh, about cart and IndyCar splitting and so forth. Uh, but joining us now, Tony Donahue from the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Tony, and I mean from Tony Donahue. Let's start over. Tony Donahue from the Tony D Podcast out of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. How are you, sir? <laughs> Good. Sorry for calling it a lake. I caught up with some things, but I got all the time you need. It's uh, we're out here, and the wind is moving a little bit, which is moving some of these clouds. So supposed to go green on qualifying at 11, uh, but the rain looks a little iffy, uh, as it always does in Indiana. But as you know, Tom, it could be it could be it could be rainy one day and or one moment, <laughs> and then sunny the next moment. So uh, that's who the heck absolutely knows? Absolutely right. That's that's Indy. Yeah, that's Indiana for you, for that matter. You know, yep. and you know. If you're a weatherman here in Indianapolis on race day, you never use the R word ever. Uh, so yeah. hopefully, yeah. hopefully, can get it in. You know, I, I've, I've been watching the radar. We've been trying to make a game day decision if we're going to get down there or not. But we'll definitely be down there tomorrow. My question is, and, and, and maybe a lot of people have these questions too: If they don't get in all of the qualifying today, do they reset and finish off tomorrow, and then still get the pole in tomorrow, or do they line up, get it set up the way? alignment should be and start the fast uh for the poll tomorrow on the nor- like the normal sunday would be yeah i don't even know if they quite know yet uh on a simple fact that they're they moved it up an hour to try to get everybody in at least one attempt on equal I think is what they're going to want to do um i wouldn't be surprised if they said hey when there's weather coming in we're not there's no way we can get all 33 in so we're going to scrap it till tomorrow or maybe later this afternoon. I mean, each attempt is about, uh, you know, six to seven minutes. So I'm not good at math, but that's what? That's about 10 an hour. So it, it's going to take a little over three and a half hours, I would say, to qualify the field at least one time. Uh, it's just tough because, you know, you're going to have guys that go out today in, in different conditions. But, you know, if you're one of those drivers that maybe had a bad qualifying trawl at like 25th or 26th, so on back, you might say, you know what, uh, I don't mind coming back and going out tomorrow at 11 o'clock and having different conditions. So 
certainly a decision to be made. There's, there's, there's a good crowd out here so far right now, but um, as I look from the media center out to turn two and downtown, there, there's some dark clouds moving uh, over the top of us, but haven't felt the raindrop yet. But the wind is certainly picking up, which tells you that we are going to probably see some rain here over the next 25 to 30 minutes. But, you know, I don't know. That's, yeah. that's a tough decision to be made. I, 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 um, I was really glad, and, and, and I commend IndyCar for making the decision to move IndyCar up, or excuse me, to move qualifying up by an hour today. Uh, I don't know how much that's going to help them uh, in the long run, but uh, it's certainly a decision that's going to have to be made here soon because, you know, qualifying starts at 11 and, and three guys go out or five guys go out in these cooler, windier conditions. Maybe they're a little bit faster than what everybody else gets to do. So it's certainly a mm-hmm. wrinkle and it's certainly a shakeup for this Indy 500 field. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the problem is, you know, unlike with, with the, the uh, Grand Prix, they could run in the ring, which – Clearly they did. I was there for that, uh, but but they can't with with the uh, with the oval and with the, with the 500. So when the track gets to a certain point, they gotta they gotta bring out the the Titans and get the drying done, and that's a process in itself. And you know, and then if there's lightning, you know, that's a 30 minute window, and it, it, it's going to take about at least 30 minutes, 45 minutes on a providing that the rain stops to get it get it dry. So. You hope for those windows to, to happen and to get to get everything in, to get everybody qualified. Let's talk about this week. Certainly, you've got the young guns and the old guns, as I was talking about in my opening monologue. And uh, certainly, uh, Sato, being a former Indianapolis 500 uh, champion, is one of the fastest out there this weekend. I believe he swept being the fastest all three days. I believe that's what I saw. Uh, so, walk us through, uh, uh, obviously, Fast Friday, some practice. Uh, what's been going on, and certainly, uh, you know, I was just talking, you know, also in my opening monologue about when I when I was young, of course, I know I'm showing my age, and I used to go to the track with my grandfather and stuff. They called it time trials then. You know, we were excited to see speeds of 195, 200 at, at that time. Again, I'm showing my age. And, but not so long ago, not so long ago that you probably remember this, that we were saying, hey, on Fast Friday, are we going to see speeds of 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 230 and now we're seeing you know like ed carpenter just as an example and i'm just picking him at a random because it's right here in front of me you know his his uh best speed is 234.41 so talk with us a little bit about fast friday the speeds we saw and did we have a new track record <laughs> i don't think we'll see a new track record this year but certainly with yesterday the wind conditions being crazy and a lot of drivers electing to pretty much parked their cars for the day. I mean, I think the, I think the driver that had the most laps yesterday ended up turning in about 34 laps. So um, I don't think you'll see a new track record, but, yeah, this morning at Carpenter, 234. That's something we haven't seen in a very long time. Uh, I don't know if he got a toe or not. I don't believe that he did. Uh, we know that he had Carpenter Racing Team will be super fast. We know that Kumasato will be super fast. Um, he has been quick all week, as you mentioned, at the Dale Coyne Racing Car that – was on a pull run three or four years ago with Sebastian Bourdais before he crashed. Uh, we know how quick Pietro Fittipaldi was in that car last year. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see. But, yeah, um, y- y- you know, the big question, obviously, is is weather. But there are – you know, you think about the top 12. And let's say everything goes smoothly today and they do get all 33 attempts in. And then tomorrow they bring back like, the top 12. <clears throat> you know, you pole sitter and the top six starters, the front two rows, are going to have to make three qualifying attempts, one today and two tomorrow. So it'll be interesting, uh, which is something that's never happened before. And, and, you know, 
the fastest the car is going to go is when the engine is has just gotten warmed up and it's just gotten going. So I think that 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 top 12, you'll see faster times than maybe the qualifying position, which is you know always confusing to the people that buy those T-shirts and check out the program and say, well, why is the guy starting seventh? Why did why did he qualify faster than the guy starting on the pole? So um, <laughs> you've got Ed Carp, you've got you've got three three bolts in the gun for Ed Carpenter Racing. Ganassi's been quick. Uh, Team Penske's kind of been a little bit off the pace. I uh, haven't really heard much from them so far this month. We know Sato and Dale Coyne Racing is going to be right there. David Malukas, a rookie, has been quick. Uh, Pato Award, Felix Rosenquist, and Aero McLaren have been super quick <clears throat> as well. Alexander Rossi showed some speed this morning for Andretti Autosports. So, you know, when I looked at this field and I thought, well, only 12, only 12 guys can qualify in the top 12. So we're going to have some real contenders on race day to win the Indianapolis 500 starting 13th on back. So um, that's the drama that the Speedway is trying to create. That's the drama that, <clears throat> you know, they, they, they want fans to come out and, and, and see since there's no bumping. And it'll be interesting. I mean, if, if you just you just you kind of hate playing the weather game, but there's also a part of me, Tom, that really kind of likes the chaos. Just see how things would change and how things would move, and and and, and what kind of pieces that they would put together. Oh, absolutely, and that's a, you know another thing talking about the track itself in the in the and how special this track is. You got to respect it. You got to love it. But it always creates some drama, and it creates some great stories and some great. Uh, great history. Let's let's talk about your experience uh, uh, coming out of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. What's your, your as a as a as a fan, as someone that covers the race? What why is the Indianapolis Motor Speedway such a special place? Um, I mean, to me personally, it's just I grew up coming here with my dad and my grandpa, kind of like you mentioned, and then um, you know just kind of fell in love with it at a young age, and and that love and passion never went away. So. Um, that's kind of had to do with it. I, I think it's a special place to drivers because it's massive. You know, the facility is massive. I talked to Roman Grosjean and, and some other drivers who are making their first attempt, and you just don't realize how massive this place is. And so, you know, you kind of look around or you're here. Um, there's obviously a lot of pomp and circumstances that go into this, whether it's, you know, all the pre-race festivities or it's 350,000 people in front of you. It's the most people you'll ever see in front of you in your entire life. Um, and it's just, you know, it's, 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 it's one time a year and it's so intense, you know, it brings out every emotion in you. If you're, if you're a true fan of this sport, a true fan of this race, you'll probably, you know, all five, all five of your senses will, will be, will be awakened when you're here. And, you know, it brings out every emotion, you know, happiness, joy, sadness, you know, when the race is over, if your driver doesn't do well. Um, you're going to be upset at some point this month. You're going to be frustrated. You're going to be impatient. It just, it brings out so many different emotions in people and so many different emotions um, to these drivers as well. And, and, and the crews and, and the families that go into this. So, um, you know, they talk about how special it is and being a part of it. And you really can sense that you can really feel that, especially on race day. So I just think it brings out every emotion uh, in, in fans and drivers and everybody. So, uh, that, that that has a lot to do with it for me. You know, I don't know how much time we got, so at, at any time, just say, "Hey, I got to drop, bro." But so I kind of want to bounce. Hey, I got I got pl- I got plenty of time because there's, okay, great. there's supposed to be a car on track at eleven, and I don't think it's going to happen. All right, so we'll we'll keep you around. So uh, I, I'm going to bounce back and forth because I, I really will. I, I kind of do this every year, uh, but I always want to talk about the top Indy 500s of, of history, maybe who we think they might be, and just you know compare notes. But 
also some something else more special than that is to be a first time. You know, it's great to have multiple winners like we've seen with Elio Castroneves, so, a, 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 a feat that's almost never ever uh, completed. But there's something special about your very very first win. And I look at the winners from this you know, this year, just 2022. Scott McLaughlin, Joseph Newgarden's two, Pato Award, and then Colton Colton Herta. Colton Herta certainly has the family pedigree uh, to out to be out there at the track. In Pato Award, man, oh man, is he showing his stuff? Who he is? We I like Scott McLaughlin, but I really got my eyes on Joseph Newgarden. He's got a new baby. He's out. He's grown up. Uh, at the track, obviously used to race for Sarah Fisher. I remember when he came up with, through the Indy Lights and as a rookie. So watching this, call him a kid. He's not really a kid, obviously. But Joseph Newgarden, to win the 106th Indianapolis 500, how special would that be? Yeah, I think a lot of people, um, you know, that's that's one of their picks. But but I'll say this. I mean, yeah, it would be great. I mean, Joseph's a great American ambassador of the sport. He's a great talent. He is. He's still relatively young for as many starts as he has at the age of, I believe, 30. Um, you know, he's obviously he's obviously the, the, the top dog on the top team. He's got a great-looking car. He's got great sponsors. Um, but for Joseph, everything's got to fall right. And you can say that about a lot of drivers. But Joseph hasn't been around in years past at the end of a race. I mean, he finished third back in, 26, back in 2016. He led some laps, I believe, in 2019. But it seems like with Joseph, when he gets up towards the front, he, his car seems to he ends up fifth or sixth or seventh. So um, it would be great. It would be a cool story, you know, another young American winner at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. But I think that he has a lot more to prove to me before I pick him to win. Let's talk about, again, I'm just going to bounce between the past and, 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 and the current. But let's talk a little bit about some of the great drivers. And, you know, we at the beginning of the year, last year, right after the 500, I believe it was right after the 500 or right before the 500 maybe, but we lost uh, Big Al, Uncle Al. And we were, I was just talking earlier about the iconic names that we have out there at the track that have made Indianapolis Motor Speedway what it is. You get, then you've got Al Unser Jr., but Al Unser Sr., and at the end of the show, we'll play a tribute to him. But Al Unser Sr. was certainly one of the greatest names to ever come, call him Uncle Al, to come out of the track. What are your thoughts on, on Al Unser as we look back at pretty much a year now since he's passed? Um, well, I'll just, I'll just share my Al, Al Unser story with you. And I was fortunate sure. to be able to be, be in attendance last Thursday when um, they, sh- they had a pre-screening of the club. Uh, my grandfather was a huge Al Unzer fan, so I, you know, when I was brought into the Indy 500, was on the back end of his career, so I naturally cheered for Al Unzer Jr. Al Unzer Jr. won the first Indy 500 that I ever went to, um, but a few years ago we were doing some autograph sessions with the former radio station I worked at, and and we got Al Unzer, and I said, okay, you know, what can we do to, um, you know, just accommodate him, you know, I mean. When, when you get to be that age, you know, things are a little bit different. And, and he showed up at, at, at the grocery store and was signed everybody's autograph, smiled for everybody, was just an absolute delight to be around. His wife was great. My dad had actually found an old flag signed by his, his, his brother, Jerry Unzer, who passed away, unfortunately, I believe back mm-hmm. in the 60s in a crash. And my dad donated that to the Unzer Racing Museum in Albuquerque. Uh, 
so Al, Al Unser Sr. was super accommodating. Um, you know, I never got to see him race. Uh, his last 500 was 1993. My first 500 was 1994. Um, but I've, I've met him several times, and I always knew when he walked through when I was a kid to get his autograph because, one, he was my grandfather's favorite, and, and two, I knew that he was a four-time winner and, and how cool the Johnny Lightning cars were back in the early 70s. So, um, yeah, just unfortunate that, uh, you know, he was lost, but also at the end of the day, very fortunate that they got everybody together last June, all four of the four-time winners, to do that documentary and, and, and yeah. uh, create some awesome photo opportunities. Wasn't that special? And also, just how special was that for Elio Castroneves to join that crowd or the 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 um, very very elite of Indianapolis 500 100 winners? Another uh, person I wanted to remember that we lost this year, and I'm sure you know exactly who I'm going to bring up here, and that's Robin Miller. And nobody told the yeah. story uh, of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway better than Robin Miller. And I know you knew him very, very well and very close. He was a mentor of yours. And I've, I knew him and met him over the years. He always had snacks. He was always a great, pleasant person to be around. But think about Robin Miller going back to his Indy Star days. You either liked him or you didn't like him. And, and, it, did, and what, depending on whether or not you liked him or not is what he was writing good or bad about the driver that you liked that year. But that's how good Robin Miller was at – at doing that and we're going to play a little tribute at the end of the show also about him a short uh, clip about him but robin miller out of the out of the media center i'm sure in time something will be named after him there uh but you know just i haven't been there this year yet uh i will be there but uh how weird is it and maybe this is morbid to ask but how weird is it to see where he used to always sit and it not be there. Do they have that still reserved for him or something like that? Yeah, they have a big sticker um, and a photo of Robin and a Pepsi can because he always drank Pepsi. Yeah, um, he sure did. You know, he always sat in the row. He always sat in the row behind me, and I'll just, you know, I obviously miss stealing all of his snacks and getting gum from him. <laughs> um, you, you know, I'll miss the stories and. And, you know, him, 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 F and everybody for the lack of a better term. Um, you know, I, I, I met Robin when I was a kid. My, my dad actually worked. He was driving a pace car to Milwaukee from the Indianapolis Motor Speedway one summer and it, it broke down and had some problems and it ended up being in my hometown and my dad worked on it. So Robin's always taken me under his wing. And, um, yeah, you know, I mean, he never wanted anybody to do anything out of, out of the way for him, even though he was sick and he was just, he put everybody else first and, had no problem giving you an opinion and whatever you needed. You know, I remember when I left radio three years ago and didn't really know what I was going to be doing. And I wanted to mm-hmm. start my own podcast and I called him up and he said, well, why don't we do work? Why don't we do working man's friend for lunch? And we can sit in my car. We can sit there and we can re- record a podcast episode on your phone. And I said, that is awesome. you know what? Let's do it. So um, I'll post that on Twitter today because I think a lot of people are going to look for uh, something to do during this, upcoming rain delay that I'm sure that we're going to have. So, uh, yeah, no, they have a little, they have a little thing set up in his former seat and, and hopefully nobody will sit there again. Um, and same goes for Bob Jenkins. You know, Bob Jenkins is a guy that even if you didn't know yeah. him, uh, he was the next guy on my list. Nice, nice. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. If, if you did, he was the next guy on my list. So, uh, nice segue. Go yeah. ahead. Uh, Bob Jenkins yeah. certainly was a great one. Um, you know, and that's a, that's a, that's a name and a, and a voice that everybody, you know, grew up with. 
And you may not recognize Bob Jenkins walking past you in the 90s or 2000s, but you recognize his voice. And you knew that, if, you know, I think Tony Stewart said it best. If, 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 if you know, Bob Jenkins came on um, to the PA or was announcing a race or was announcing a video game, um, you know, you knew his voice and you knew it was a big race and you, it was going to be great yeah, commentary. Really. So. Um, yeah, I mean, and then you could also throw Bobby Unzer in there, too, another great ambassador of the sport and a guy that, um, you know, w- was great broadcasting, a three-time winner, three different teams, the 8500, um, was always a class act. So, you know, it's been a rough 365 days for auto racing fans, and, um, you know, maybe maybe this is Mother Nature's way of saying, hey, don't forget about the past and, um, you know, keep keep moving ahead towards the future. Well, let's uh, talk about the 106th running of the Indianapolis 500. And, and, and to, to tell you, again, just uh, reminiscent, if you will, a few years back we were talking about the 100th running and how special that was. But let's go ahead and talk a little bit about what we've seen in, in you know, combined practice. Ed Carpenter, very, very, very fast. Been on P1 multiple times. He's no stranger to the P1. He knows how to qualify for the Indianapolis 500. This would be a good – anytime you get your first one, but he's a, he's a hometown guy. You know, he's, he's really paid his dues at that track. He's gotten beat up by that track. And, and if we were, remember a few years back, he was on – he was trending on pace to probably get his win when he had that issue with, with uh, James Hinchcliffe. I love James Hinchcliffe. Great, great guy. I uh, miss him in the sport as far as racing goes. Uh, but – he kind of got in the way of, of Ed Carpenter winning that. I, I, I maybe agree, maybe you disagree, but Ed Carpenter again doing what he does well at qualifying is doing it again this year. Is this the year that Ed Carpenter finally gets to drink the milk? Well, I hope so. Um, you know, it's it's he knows how to run 500 miles. He finished second here just a few short years ago. Um, he, you know, I don't, I don't believe that this place owes anybody anything, but like you said, he certainly has paid his dues. And uh, it, it, it's hard to think that I think this is Marco's 17th Indianapolis 500. This will be Ed's 20th Indianapolis 500. Dixon has ran 20. Um, so, you know, I would love to see Ed win. It would be a home, like you said, it'd be a hometown favorite, uh, you know, a winning driver and a winning, you know, a, a, an owner driver hasn't won here in 24 years since Eddie Cheever did it back in 1998. Um, yeah, he's fast. He knows how to do it. Um, you know, it just seems like one little thing has always gone wrong, whether it's a Hinchcliffe in, incident or a bad pit stop in 2018 right. when Will Power won, or last year. I mean, last year he was on the charge to finish, to finish fifth, but that first pit stop, he lost seven or eight spots, and, and it really cost him the day. And he spent, you know, the remaining, you know, 180 laps just trying to dig, dig, dig for for a fifth place spot. So, um, would be awesome. Would be a very popular win. Um, I would love it. And he's going to be right there on race day. And I think that all starts for him with qualifying. You know, he said, "Hey, I'm known as a qualifier now. I'm known as a as a pole runner, but I want to be known as a race winner." So, uh, you still got to qualify up front. And um, he's going to be he's going to be right there. That car's fast. That team is fast. So. We'll see what they can do. Um, I felt about two raindrops so far sitting outside, uh, but it looks like it's starting to clear up a little bit more. They do have some some cars on the track right now, some nice. some trucks going around to try to keep it dry. So 
I don't know. It, it's getting clear. I can't see over the bleachers to the right of me here, which would be looking to the west. But right. everything right now looks clear. So I don't know. Maybe you know, they always say there's a window in Terre Haute. Maybe it clears up a little bit. <laughs> we always look at that. We always look at that Terre Haute window. That's for sure. And you know, you were talking about cars on the track. That's you know, just walking up to the track last week and hearing cars on the track. It's, and when you walk underneath the tunnel, and, and those have never done it, like I've always said, if you've never been to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, go. Make it your bucket list. Even if you don't get there this year, go. Um, but there's something special just walking underneath that tunnel and hearing cars go above you at, you know, at 200 miles an hour. So the, the sound of cars always gives me goosebumps, especially at the first year. Let's talk a little bit about Connor Daly, kind of like him. He's, a, again, a, somebody who's not been able to get the break there at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. It's not been his best of friends, but he is starting to cut his teeth. Um, Connor Daly, I, and I could be wrong on this, but does he not drive Red Carpenter as well? Or do I yeah, he up? does. And and, and, okay. and look, he's in that 20 car. He's in that 20 car full time now. He's he's in, you know, the car that was he was kind of flopping back and forth, and Ed would take it on the ovals, but he is in that 20 car on all the on all the races. So um, the crew that was on Ed Carpenter's team last year is now connor and he's quick he just had some bad luck he had some really good luck to start the race which cycled him towards the lead last year and he ended up passing renis bk to take uh the lead and, and he ended up leading the most laps and then you know i i just you know the bad luck strikes guys it just seems like graham rahal connor daly they just have bad luck and graham spins coming off the pit road and you know, bam, Connor hits the tire. So last year was certainly Connor's best performance, and hopefully he can back that up. But, but you know, I'm with you. I, I took a walk on Saturday, and, you know, when you walk to the north end of the front straightaway where I'm staring at right now, actually, and, you, they ha- you know, it's, it's a little tunnel, and every section has a little tunnel to walk out to the bleachers. And I just remember as a kid walking out and being on pit road and, and, and looking for a driver and seeing which car I would see first as a kid. I mean, it just – it always brings back fond memories. Uh, super, super cool that I can come out here and cover it and, and still get away a little bit to be a fan and and um, kind of enjoy it and have some fun. And, you know, I mean, growing up in Northwest Indiana, a lot of a lot, a lot of people up there aren't IndyCar fans or Indy 500 fans, but my nephew came down. He's a fourth grader up in Northwest Indiana, nice. and he got to experience the track on, on Wednesday. And luckily it was a day where, yeah, it was it was warm, but it was at least – you know, uh, it, it was it was good conditions to, to see some cars on track. So, you know, this place is based on, on and built on traditions, and and some traditions yeah. go away, unfortunately, and and some and some traditions change. But uh, I think the goosebumps that we all get on on race morning, or you know, the first time back in May when you come in here, or the goosebumps that you get, um, you know, when when they do back home again in Indiana, or those engines fire up, uh, that, that'll never go away, no matter how old you get. Oh, absolutely, and it's so special to see. I love, that's one of my favorite things to do is just when I'm walking through the track is just to see all the kids and their drivers and they're wearing their little uh, earpieces and some of them are wearing scanners and it's just a special place for kids. You know, let's talk a little bit about another guy in the, in, in the field this year that's just, you know, you talk about a, a guy that got beat up by the track and I'm speaking of J.R. Hillebrand. He's right there in the mix. Um, you know, here, here's the thing and, and, and how, how many of us, Every time we look at J.R.L. Hillebrand, look like, wow, he almost won the race. You know, if you remember right, J.R. Hillebrand was basically one turn away from winning the Indianapolis 500 
on his very first try. He was a rookie. And then, of course, the incident happened with the wall. And he, could, he could see the checkered flag. And you wonder, is that continued to haunt him? Uh, and, of course, that was back when, you know, Dan Weldon was alive. And that's another great person that we lost several years ago. But Dan Weldon was uh, part, uh, part of some of the greatest Indy 500s of history, and I was a huge Dan Weldon fan. I had an opportunity to meet him on different uh, different occasions. I digress about about him, but uh, when I was up at Iowa, covering the race up there at Iowa one year, I asked walking down pit row if I could talk to Dan. He goes, he goes, sure, Tom. Let me uh, let me uh, go to the bathroom here real quick, and he jumped in the bath the the outhouse. I thought, how did he know my name? It came out, whatever, and he starts talking. I said, real quick, Dan. How did you know my name? Do you remember me from Indi- from Indianapolis? He goes, no, I just looked at your name tag. So I felt like an idiot there. That's my Dan Weldon moment there. But yeah, I thought that was that was kind of cool. But I digress. That that was, uh, you know, Dan Dan Weldon was still alive in the, in, in in that part. But do you look at J.R. Hildebrand as the guy that almost got it, the, that race that got away? Do you think that haunts him today? That keeps him from getting to that point? And if he could get past that point, if he could get past that haunting and get a 500 win, man, that would be something special. You know, what it, are your thoughts? It, it, remind, it, it reminds me of, of, of Sato, right? Sato in 2012 went for three Hull Letterman Lanigan racing, um, spins going into one on the, on the final lap. Dario wins. He comes back in 2020 with team again and, and gets a victory. You know, you think back to that 2011 race, and, you know, I've, I, I've spoken with Weldon about this before he passed. You know, he, Weldon was, was right there all day, but he was never really in contention to win. And then the way that the fuel mileage uh, went, if you remember those last 10 laps in 2011, Danica was leading, then it was Bertrand Baguette. And everybody thought, oh, man, this guy that nobody knows, um, you know, from Belgium is going to seal the show. Then he had the pull in. And then Hildebrand inherited the lead and was – and was, you know, kind of backing off the pace and wasn't, it was just trying to get to that lap 200. And, uh, you know, Dario was charging and Dan was right there in second. And then Hildebrand obviously comes off and hits the wall. So, you know, Hildebrand also played the strategy perfectly that day. Just obviously didn't play the 790, the 799 turn properly. Um, you know, the end of that race to me is all a blur. I, I really don't remember. I think I remember him hitting the wall. But man, it was just all a blur from that point on. Um, but yeah, well, you know, JR's a great guy. JR's a great guy. He's so smart. He's so technical. He can take an AJ Foyt racing car and get a couple extra tenths of a second out of it. So, um, you know, would love to see JR do it. Am I going to put my money on him this month? Probably not. Um, but you never know if if it, if it becomes a strategy play, or if it becomes, you know, hey, do we stay out? What decision do we make? Um, there, there's not a better driver out there than, than, than JR that knows the technical side of everything. Let's talk about some of the best Indy 500s of all time, if you will. And, and maybe we, we, we look back past our, our age or, you know, I was in high school when, when I look, when I think about the, when, when I think about the Mario Andretti and Sullivan, uh, race uh, 1985 when Sullivan spins and wins in the 1985 race. Uh, certainly there's a, b- a big story about that. Mario and Jer- Andretti had led the majority of the first half of the race uh, for Newman, Newman Haas, uh, but Danny Sullivan had learned uh, you know, from the Penske team and, and, and Rick Mears' team. Uh, so there was, a, there was a lot going on within that race. But at the end of the day, 
uh, Danny Sullivan, if you remember, he, he completed a 360-degree spin, striking the wall, and and then ended up winning the race. i, I got to give that in my top ten as one of the best Indy 500s of all time. Do you agree, disagree thoughts on that race, or maybe you don't have any thoughts on that race? I mean, yeah, that's a, that's a great moment in the history, right? You think about the 92 finish. You know, the 92 race was chaos because you had so many different drivers crashing and so many different drivers, you know, that were not adjusting to the cold conditions. And then Michael dominates the race. And then obviously his engine blows with 10 laps to go. And it was a shootout between Goodyear, who had started 33rd, and Allinger Jr., um, who was obviously a, a fan favorite because of, of his name and who he was. Um, yeah, I mean, 80, 85, Danny Sullivan's spin and win is just an iconic image. It's an iconic moment in racing history, in Indy 500 history. I go back to 1995, which is one of my favorite races. It was the last race before the split. Cars were super fast. Uh, Jacques Villeneuve comes from two laps down. Scott Goodyear passes the pace car. You know, the last 30 laps of the 95 race, when you've got guys like Mauricio Guzman and Scott Pruitt, and Scott Goodyear was right there, and Villeneuve was charging. Obviously, the Penske team didn't make the show, so that kind of set off what was to be, you know, a crazy intense race. Um, you know, uh, I, I think when you look back at, at, at races as far as was this a good race, obviously in the mid-2010s when you had the arrow kits, you know, 17, 18, when these guys are passing each other at will, Ryan Hunter Ray's move to pass Castro Neves in the grass going into turn three. Um, but, you know, t- 2002 was also a really good race. It was dominated at parts by Thomas Schechter. But you had a rookie in Tony Kanaan who led laps. Uh, you had Robbie Gordon running well in that race. And then, obviously, the end with Elio and Paul Tracy. So, you talk about iconic moments at the 500, at the track. Those are certainly ones uh, of the last 30 or 35 years or so that come to mind for me. You know, you talked about uh, just legends at the track. And one that's still at the track every year, hanging out at the Penske Garage. I always enjoy talking to him, is Rick Mears. And Rick Mears is one of the most iconic names when you think about the Indianapolis 500. Uh, but you also think about that relationship and that mentorship that he's given to guys like Elio Castanevis. And let's, let's not forget that they've had their own issues on the racetrack together. Uh, but, you know, everybody remembers him with the, with the Yellow Submarine. Of course, he also, this was back when they allowed uh, cigarettes to be on the car. He, he drove the, the Marlboro car. And that, you know, that 1991 victory uh, was probably his best victory, and that was in the, in the Marlboro uh, car as, as well. Rick yeah. Mears, your thoughts on him? Yeah, and I'll have to run into this because the Chick-fil-A lunch is here. We might see some qualifying. <laughs> um, but, All yeah, right. You know, Rick, Rick I, I, was great, I'm, I'm, and, and, and Rick, Rick, Rick was great. That, that 91 duel with Andretti was, was huge. I mean, he just knew how to save his stuff. You know, he, he always preached, and, and, and this was advice that he gave Elio Castro Neves when he was spotting for him. And, you know, he helped Elio in three of his four wins. And he said, look, you, you can't win that race in turn one on the first lap, but you can certainly lose it. So just every cent Rick would work on getting his car exactly where it needed to be. And, and to think about it, he's got a couple runner-up finishes. Remember, he was involved in, I think, the second or third closest finish in history with Gordon Johncock back in the early 80s. Um, you know, he was right there, and, and, and it kind of reminds his, – his whole career reminds me of Elio, too. You know, Elio was always fast and winning races, but Elio has finished second here multiple times. Remember, he did it to Gilles DeFerrin. He did yep. it with Takuma Sato. He finished second to, I believe, Ryan Hunter Ray one year. So, 
Um, it's just it's just eerie similar how those two careers uh, have gone between Mears and Castro Neves. Obviously, Mears never went and ran for another team. He retired uh, after a bad crash in 1992. Um, but man, just it's super fun to see Rick Mears out here, and uh, he's a guy that is always uh, embracing Team Penske and embracing the sport. Absolutely. Well, one of the great things there at the track is uh, the the food at the media center, Chick Fil A. I won't I won't have you miss that. But who's going to be on the P1 tomorrow? Uh, I think your front row is Renus VK, Scott Dixon, Takuma Sato, um, with Alex Pillow, Ed Carpenter, and Alexander Rossi also fighting for that top six. Okay, so you didn't tell me exactly who it's going to be. So you're you're not making an official pick. Okay, no problem. <laughs> I'll give you, I'll, I'll give you a couple different options. All right, buddy. I appreciate the time you've given us today. I know it was a little bit more than I expected, so thank you for that. That and certainly great to walk down memory lane with you at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Enjoy qualifying weekend. Hopefully, I'll get out there today. I will definitely be out there tomorrow. I appreciate it, Tom. See you. Thank you, Tony. Tony Donahue, the Tony D Podcast, uh, joining us. Uh, he he said he committed to ten minutes, and we got a lot more out of him than that. And, and you know what it is? I had this on my agenda to do. I thought I was gonna uh, kind of run solo and, and and talk about the history of of the track. But you know, it, again, you think I'm over embellishing? Maybe no. I'm gonna tell you what that track is something something special. My name's Tom Marquis, El Presidente. You know what? We're going to get back, and I, I tell you, we, we got we got a lot more to cover on this show, so we we might go into to overtime, and you know, if if that's the case, then we will go into overtime, and in you know, it is what it is. Uh, but you know, the great thing about the overtime, you get to spend a little extra time with me. Uh, we're live, by the way. When I mean overtime, we get we just go right into the podcast, and so our show is live. Our show is the podcast. The podcast is the show. Uh, pretty. Easy to understand, I think. <laughs> Make sure you're following us on the podcast and just hit like. Uh, we'll be right back right here on the Balance Radio Network with more qualifying talk and more talk about that great spot at 16th and Georgetown in Indianapolis, Indiana. Oh, National Guard is a reserve component of the United States Air Force and serves alongside active duty Air Force members in times of a national crisis. In addition, the Air Guard serves the state and local community in a wide range of capacities. The reason people join the Air Guard is as diverse as our members and includes such reasons as a deep desire to serve their country, money for college, travel, new job skills, and the pride that goes along with belonging to the greatest military organization in the world. I joined because I felt a calling to serve my country, but I didn't want to be far away from my family, so the Indiana Air National Guard was a perfect fit for me. With over 95 different career opportunities to choose from and 100% paid college tuition to any state-funded college, why not give us a call? Call 1-800-841-3103 or visit online at goang.com to find out more. Again, that's 1-800-841-3103. The Air National Guard, guarding America, defending freedom. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. 
makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm laughing. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about anything. Morning face. You get it when you don't sleep well. This is what happened to Linda. Morning, guys. Good morning. Ah, what is that thing? It's me, Linda. Oh, my God, it talks. Run! No, it's me, Linda, from HR. It looks hungry. Save the children. Save them. Stay back. I've got mace. Ow, they're ripping my eyes. We're moving. It's called beauty sleep for a reason. And there's never been a better time to get some. Get 20% off IKEA salt and mattresses. IKEA, love your home. Oh, hi. Uh, hey. Seen on the board, do you guys have Black Rifle coffee here? <laughs> no, I'm sorry. We only carry good small batch coffee here. Well, it is great small batch coffee. Well, that really can't be unless it's fresh roasted. So, um, you know. Well, it is fresh roasted. I don't, I don't think you know what that means. You know what this is? This is Masa Lequa Pique, which, of course, in the Indonesian language... Oh, let me finish. In the Indonesian language, it's weasel coffee. You just made that up. No, it's been passed through their digestive tract. That's disgusting. And then it's nature's wet processing. Yeah, but is it good? I mean, it's all right. Are they investor philanthropists? Do they support good causes? Yeah, tons of causes. Veterans causes and first responder causes. But it doesn't matter because they make good coffee. So that's what I'm wondering. Do you have any? You know what? Actually, I'm, I'm just going to order it. They make it fresh and roasted. Okay. Black Rifle Coffee. It's good. talking to IMS President Doug Bowles about this big decision today. Fox 59 sports anchor Chris Hagan joins us live from the track right now with a look at what the IMS President is telling us about today's decision. Hey, Chris. Hey there, Dan. Yeah, his title is President, but I call him Mr. IMS. Nobody interacts more with the fans than Doug Bowles. And, Doug, it's going to be a different Indy 500. Not an easy decision to make, but one we make here with less than three weeks until we take the green flag. Yeah, you know... One word for me, it's just a heartbreaking, uh, just heartbroken day. You know, I know how important this event is to fans and fans that have made this event. So to make this decision today is really tough on them. It's certainly uh, tough on us. But I think where we are today with the metrics in the community, it's the right decision going forward. We'll get this race in and start focusing on 2021. 
When you think about what Roger had said previously about wanting to make sure this race goes off with fans, I know you're hearing a lot of that, but when the statement was made, we couldn't have foreseen the things that would have transpired since then until now, could we? No, and, and I think Roger's exactly right, and I think I even said on the heels of that statement that an Indianapolis 500 with fans isn't an Indianapolis 500 as we know it, and that's certainly what we've got here today. But when you started looking at really the bigger picture, making sure that the IndyCar series and the teams were healthy so we can roll into 2021 and have a successful 2021, it's really important that we get the Indianapolis 500 in this year. And so we'll execute it. Hopefully fans will get an opportunity to listen to it on the radio, watch it on TV, have an opportunity to celebrate, and then we'll uh, look forward to having them here in 2021. Now, in a Twitter poll I posted, more than 70% of the folks responding say it's more important to have the 500 than to have the 500 with fans. At the end of the day, is that what the thinking was, we can't go a year without having this race? Well, I think, like I said, it's just really important to, to the IndyCar teams and otherwise, and, you know, it's a, it's a difficult decision. I mean, I, emotionally, I'd say you can't have it without the fans. It just is not what it's mm -hmm. about. But then when you step back and look about what's best for the long term, for the series, for the speedway, and frankly for our fans, because we want it to be a healthy event, is to have the race this year without fans. And we'll be hitting the track next week with practice. I guess now all the efforts will be making it as enjoyable as possible for the folks who won't be able to get in. Yeah, that and taking down all the things. As you can see, I mean, we were setting <laughs> right. up even as late as yesterday afternoon, hoping that we could have fans here. So we got a, a lot of work to take down today now instead of on August 24th like we'd hoped. Well, Doug, I'm able-bodied. Let's get to work here. We'll you take got it. I'm ready. Day. Let's go. He's Doug Bowles, the face of the IMS, and looking forward to the 500 in less than three weeks. Let's throw it back to you guys. Derek Mullis and Anthony Espinoza say they snagged a perfect spot to watch the qualifier Sunday at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. The race is still going on, whether the people are there or not. We're just glad it's still going on. Yeah. That's the main thing. They, like dozens of other fans, set up chairs or simply walk towards gate two to catch the action on the big screen since COVID-19 restricted fans from being in the stands, something that didn't bother Mark Bollard. He drove five hours to IMS. Yeah, it's not as fun, but it's guess what? To be able to be here, hear the cars, it's a little long way to go to travel to do that. But, you know, we haven't done much this year because everything's been closed. So it wasn't that much of a big deal. So I'm just glad to be here. Even the smallest fans shared their disappointment without saying a word. But through this photo sent into Eyewitness News by Rob Botts, IMS President Doug Bowles. All right, welcome back to The Balance. Thank you, Tony Donahue, for uh, pretty much spending the first hour with us. We'll roll into overtime, so uh, be prepared for that if you're listening to the live. Just wait for the podcast to drop here shortly. Um, we're going to go into uh, – uh, um, I'm sorry, we're going to go into overtime. I thought I thought I heard something in my ears. I thought I pushed a button, in, which I'm, I'm very easy for me to do. We're going to roll into overtime, and we're just going to talk – I want to talk a little bit about this. Uh, you know, two, two years ago, and you, you heard it in Doug Bowe's voice, one of the darkest times, it was certainly in my lifetime, one of the darkest times was 2000, when COVID had hit the entire world. And fans, again, like I said, sometimes you're going to have to bear with me. You can, hear, you can also hear it in Doug Bowe's voice. We're not allowed at the track. But I was among thousands of fans. We were out there outside the gates on race day and as much time as we – and it was surreal. But it was, in a way, so cool to see the thousands and thousands of people 
the same people that would have been at the race were at the track outside, waving banners and oh, it was so cool to see. Next week we're going to have our field of thirty-three uh, special. We do it every year, and we're going to break down each and every car in the thirty-three cars. Today is qualifying weekend. Uh, we began getting trying to get the fastest out there today. We you heard us talk earlier that there's some weather that's moving in. That there's that window, and it's a very small window uh, to get that done today. Then we got to make the decision. Or I, of course, I'm not involved with it, but might as well might as well say we make the decision on how qualifying is going to happen tomorrow. It might be an extended day, uh, or it might be have to move to Monday. Just say, right now, those are unknown variables uh, that we have, but we're, that we are. Uh, working with, you know, Tony and I were just, you know, having the conversations about some of the best, uh, uh, the best Indy 500s that, you know, come to our mind. You know, we we talked about a a few of them and, you know, I was talking about Dan Weldon and, and, you know, one of the greatest races that, that Dan Weldon was in, uh, 2011, um, uh, in the closing laps uh, of the uh, of the of, of the of the race, sorry, there was a lot of strategies that failed and, and failed to mesh with yellow flag periods, leaving some great team driver team combinations such as Chip Ganassi and Dario Franchitti. There's a name we haven't talked about in a while, and you know he he re, he retired after having a a really really bad wreck out in Texas, uh, but. Scott Dixon. Scott Dixon is certainly one we're going to look at uh, this week, and, and in qualifying, you know, he's certainly one of the greats. And, and we remember when Danica Patrick raced in IndyCar. <laughs> Boy, that was a long time ago, right? That's that's a blast in the past. But I digress. She was forced to give up the lead. I'm, I'm talking about the race in in 2011 with how this came together uh, with with the uh, J.R. Hillebrand and and. Uh, Weldon, um, we talked a little bit about this earlier, but after Danica Patrick was forced to give up the lead with 12 laps to go, Baguette took over the front until the, until lap 197, when uh, his Delora was forced into take, taking that late splash and dash, if you will. Now, what that ha- what happened there? is that left rookie J.R. Hillebrand in the lead for Panther Racing. Remember Panther Racing? Uh, key tie-in here, fun fact. Guess who used to be the president of Panther Racing? None other than Doug Bowles, president of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Just saying, there's a fun fact for you. I'm, I'm, I'm loaded with all kinds of nuggets. See what happens when we go into overtime and we're in the podcast? I'm loaded. Um, I, I, I digress. With Panther Racing... A team that had finished second for the previous three 500s with uh, with the 2005 winner, Dan Weldon. Weldon, by now, a part-time driver for Brian Herta. Fun fact, Colton Herta's dad. Again, part of Andretti. Uh, Brian Herta Autosports in his first race of the year and only the second squad's second year in IndyCar event. Uh, was close, but we'll see what happened with him. Then... Here's where it gets interesting at. Suddenly, Hildebrand went to lap Charlie Kimball 
in the short shoot there between the turns three and four, if you've been to the track, you know what I'm talking about. On the final lap, and that's that straightaway where you're seeing the checkered flag. Basically, he was going to win the race. His momentum was such that he, he would still tricycle across the line in second, but then Weldon had run in the top six all day and was uh, part and, and, and passed into the lead, having led just one quarter of the lap, but the most important one of all, and that's the win. So that, that's the, the race of, of 2011. You know, we think about 1987 uh, when I graduated high school. Uh, <laughs> you, you know, that, that was kind of an, an interesting race. We could get into how Andretti won it, but there was a thing that's still around, I think. People talk about it every now and then, and that's the Andretti curse. You know, it's just a, Andretti team comes out of nowhere to, to win something or to do something or to ruin your day. That's kind of the Andretti curse, and, and that happened there. And then you, you think about 2006 um, race, um, eight, you know, 1961. But I think when we look back at the classics, you know, we, we go way back in history. And th- these are some of the, the, the fun days, like the 60s and the 70s and the 50s. Um, but I think, you know, the 1960 race, was a, it was a great uh, dual race, and we don't have time to get into all of that. But that's the Indianapolis 500. That's what we're talking about. That's what makes this place special. So as I, as I talked about earlier on in the show with Tony, we're going to spend some time just remembering people that we have lost in the sport recently and the impact that they um, have had on the race itself. I'm sorry, can't multitask. But uh, so we're going to just kind of remember some some people and uh, see how that that plays out. If you'll just bear with me, this is podcast time, people. We're on podcast. You're on podcast time. My time, right? You know, we weren't planning to go into overtime, but I did want to get these these in here. Just I do apologize here. I had it all lined up. So I want to. We, we talked about um, the Andrettis. I wanted to talk about. We know about Mario Andretti. We know about uh, Michael and them, but the other. Andretti spent a lot of his time in NASCAR. We lost him a few years ago. Um, just we, th- we thought we'd take some time and go through some of these mo- memorials. So we're going to kind of just go back to back with them so we can get them all in. We'll start with uh, remembering John Andretti. If you were looking for John Andretti, the best place to find him was at a racetrack. He started karting at the age of nine and in a sprint car by the time he was 20. Are you going to use this as kind of a stepping stone toward bigger things in racing, uh, maybe like Mike and Mario up in the Indy cars, or do you want to go any farther in racing? Oh, sure, I want to go hopefully all the way to the top. By the age of 25, with his father Aldo at his side, he was there. And the Gold Coast IndyCar Grand Prix goes to John Andretti. His cart win came at Surfer's Paradise in 1991, and at Indy, 
He ultimately ran in 12 Indy 500s, including races in 1991 and 92, where he ran against Mario and cousins Michael and Jeff. I think we're always fighting to be better than the next one in the family, and and that, that's something that keeps us all um, honest, as we say, where you just want to be better and better. After doing double duty in 1994, racing in Indy and then Charlotte the same day, he may have ultimately found his most success in NASCAR, beating the likes of Dale Earnhardt and Jeff Gordon to win for the legendary Cale Yarborough at Daytona in 1997. I'd like to thank RCA, you know, Goodyear Ford, and all the people that have been involved. I mean, Cale Yarborough, you know, put a lot of faith in me. Two years later, he won for the great Richard Petty at Martinsville. I told them boys, I said, you know, we need to make a habit out of this. But eventually, races became few and far between. He began to do a variety of appearances, including as an analyst for Trackside 6. You've been great to us uh, the entire weekend. He also began something called the Race for Riley. Visits to Riley Hospital for Children meant so much, touched by the power of perseverance, followed by karting events, which raised big bucks over the many years. This thing's getting bigger and bigger every year. I would imagine in a couple of years we'll have it at the Speedway. Is that right? Well, you know, the Speedway wanted us to come, but, you know, we, um, not really. I mean. <laughs> but then came the devastating news in January of 2017. Stage 4 colon cancer. He said he never got checked, never had a colonoscopy, and all he could think about was his wife Nancy, daughters Olivia and Amelia, and son Jared. Is this more difficult to watch in your family? than it is for you to deal with this? It's way harder yeah. to watch. Because it's unfair to them. I've said it several times. It's unfair to them that I'm even in this condition um, because this could have been prevented. Now, for me to go through it, um, it's my own fault because I, I didn't get screened soon enough. Do you blame yourself? I, I mean, do. You I, do. I, mean. I do because I, you know, I, mean, I don't know why, but I do. Just last year, John wrapping up his 23rd race for Riley and checks totaling around $550,000, all despite a number of clinical trials to battle his cancer. You know, you just got to keep going. You know, the more you push, and even if it's hard to push, you got to just do it because it takes your mind off it. Like today, you know, I'm having a great day. John Andretti had plenty of great days, battling on and off the track, Without question, the spirit of an Andretti, every step of the way. You can sit and mope and do all the things you want to do um, that you think that you would expect to do. I, none of that's happened to me. I mean, and a lot of it's because of my family around me. They just, you know, if you do, you're, you're losing. And nobody in the family wants to lose. <laughs> Yeah, certainly that was our tribute that we paid for John Andretti when he passed away. Sad loss, certainly a part of the Andretti family. And maybe a lot of times your mind doesn't go to John Andretti, but the accomplishments that he had were unbelievable, and especially in NASCAR. And then his post-race years, as he, as he talked about his charitable event. Also, here recently we lost one of the greats. We call him Uncle Al, Al Unser. And you heard Tony tell the story about Al Unser. Uh, and just he was just a great iconic guy to have around and I had an opportunity to meet him a few times and we're going to get into the Robin Miller thing and Bob Jenkins here in a few minutes but just the interaction that he had with those two gentlemen was incredible so uh, we pay tribute to Uncle Al, Al Unser, 
Al Unser tribute. And we're doing this for the remainder of the podcast. We've got a few more to go through. Uh, but we just wanted to have uh, some time to share these with you at the end of the show today. And that's why we're in overtime. We pay tribute to Al Unser. Al Unser grew up in Albuquerque, New Mexico, the youngest of four brothers, all of whom first started racing at the Pikes Peak International Hill Climb. Al came to Indianapolis in 1965, finishing ninth in his first race, and just five years later, he drove to Victory Lane in dominant fashion. Three Unser brothers have raced here in Indianapolis. One, Jerry, was killed in an accident in the late 50s. Bobby Unser won the race two years ago. And now Al can complete the first brother act in victory at Indianapolis. It's just the greatest feeling you can ever imagine that you have accomplished something that, that you've dreamed about of just being at Indianapolis. And all of a sudden, there you are. You have won the race. You've beaten the very best there is. You've dominated the race all day. It was our day. There wasn't anything that I couldn't do. I led 190 laps. I mean, that's an awful lot of laps to lead around here. <laughs> Unser also took his first IndyCar National Championship title in 1970 with 10 wins in 18 races for Vell's Pirelli Jones Racing. Hal is probably the best race driver ever to get in a car and make it work. He knew how to win. For a car owner, you could not ask for a better race driver. Very, very talented, and he knew how to go fast. I mean, he just knew how to put it all together. The following year, Al Unser became just the fourth driver in history to win Indy back-to-back. Here we come to the checkered flag for Al Unser, and he crosses that line, the last yard of brake. You can pay a lot of credit to Al Unser because, like I say, he just he could get the most out of a car and knew how to win. Al Unser won the 500 again in 1978, winning for the third time in just nine years. Al Unser, very polished, one of the smartest race drivers as far as racecraft that I've ever known. A great race driver that was never recognized for his ability as good as he was. My father has a, has a style of racing and my uncle has a style of racing. And what I tried to do in my career is take the best of Uncle Bobby and take the best of my dad and put them together. When things were right with Al, he was the most untouchable human being I ever saw. Al was the most vicious race driver for winning that I ever saw if things were right. In all, he won 39 career IndyCar races and two more championship titles both with Team Penske and Kart in 1983 and 85. But by 1987, Unser was without a ride at Indy. A serious practice crash by Danny Ongaius, however, got Al back with Team Penske unexpectedly and a chance to win again at Indy. As you know, Ongaius probably overdrove it and got himself in trouble, and they decided at that point that he wouldn't be cleared to race. And Al Unser Sr. was available and a, a good friend of mine at that point and then Tuesday, Roger calls me on the phone. He says, would you run my third car? It's going to be a March, and it's going to be a Cosworth engine. It'll all be first-class stuff. I just said yes, instantly. I wanted to race. Yellow flag with eight laps to go. It's Mario Andretti. 
who has gone down into the infield. When that green flag came out, I put the medal down and I never lifted and I didn't. I mean, it, it's a true fact that I run around there wide open. And now here it is. Al Unser joins A.J. Foyt as one of only two men ever to win the Indianapolis 500 four times in his life. To win that race that day under the conditions that I came here the month of May, it's a storybook race, you know, that, that uh, it just shows when your, your lady luck is on your side or the good Lord is with you upstairs, you're going to put it together. And with the team that I had and all the people around me, there I was. Al Unser's my biggest hero and uh, I love my dad. Remember Uncle Al, Al Unser, one of the greatest drivers of all time. And we've been talking all day today just about the history of the track and what makes the Indianapolis 500 and the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, what makes it such a special place? And nobody told that story better than Robin Miller. And we lost him this year. Robin Miller, tribute to him. You know what really makes me angry? When I start to do a stand-up for speed and they start playing loud music and i got to talk even louder than I am now. It, 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 is, it isn't fair to lump me in with Hinton because he's a college-educated man with a family and I am a, a, a flunk out of Ball State who can't hold a job who does hate a lot of things. I Dale Jr. That. would have done that. I, I'm all for him. I've never met the guy, but I, I like Dale Jr. I really do. Yeah, yeah right. I used Dale to do- Jr. is, to me, and is just number one. He, does, he tries not to hit anybody. And y'all start in on him every time, and I am sick of it. He, he tried so hard to miss Carl yesterday. Yeah, that car was so far sideways when he hit him. Come on, lady. Uh, we got, we Put got the Jack Daniels down and call back later. I think I entirely deserve that for saying that Kurt Busch stapled his ears back together early in the season, and now it's 1-1, one and, one and we have to have a tiebreaker. And the owners of Champ Car finally get it through their heads. We've got to have the same people in the cars every year so people might start paying attention to us. It's called professional auto racing. And guess what? As long as they keep treating us like a Monopoly game, nobody's going to respect them. Uh, she's 34 years old, allegedly. I haven't seen her birth certificate. I think she's older. She is, by, by definition of all the people that race with her in, in, in Grand Am racing, talented, very talentedly. She's challenged to be talented at any level, at any speed. You, you know, you know Gossett pretty well, and I mean, his ego's as big as Texas. We know that, and this would be a chance for him to come in and save the Indy Racing League, find him a title sponsor. They could probably build a statue next to Ray Haroon out in front of the Speedway, and he'd be pretty happy. But just stop with it. But this just goes to show you how screwed up Champ Car Racing is, and how unserious these guys are about beating Newman Haas. You don't come up with a team driver for Paul Tracy until a week before the season. You don't test him or anything in a brand-new car. How are you going to beat Newman Haas? You're not. This is the only sport in the world where you start your career at the Indianapolis 500. If you're a baseball player, you go through the AAA or single-A or W. You start as single-A and you go all the way to AAA. If you're good enough, you make it to the majors. No, not in racing. You get a sponsor, you get a car, and you go take your rookie test, and you run the Indy 500. Oh, my, this is fun. I've been on Mark Miles' butt not nearly enough. I'm going, get, I'm going to start getting meaner here because he doesn't listen to anybody who knows anything about racing. That big yacht back there belongs to Tony George, and he said, if I can swim to it, he's going to feed me. <laughs> Robin Miller. 
He was a character. And Tony, you know, did a great job of uh, uh, talking about him and, you know, what he meant to the track. And, and certainly he had his own spot that he that he set in. He had his sign spot they set there. And he always had snacks. He always had jokes. <laughs> some not so clean, I warn you. Don't, you know, some of them may not be things that you want to say in front of your kids. Uh, but, yeah, great, great guy, Robin Miller. We miss you, Robin. Uh, interesting to see what's going to happen this this week, year at the 500. And I'm sure the track's going to do something special for you. So, anyway, I appreciate your patience today. How, we're getting ready for the 106th running of the Indianapolis 500. We're going to end the show with this. This is a – of course, we now say, hey, start the engines. But there was something special about Mary Hallman George and the Hallman family saying those magical words. We're going to reflect on that for a few minutes, and then we're going to get out of here. My name is Tom Marcos Del Presidente. Qualifying weekend. If you can get down to the track, get down there. Don't drink and drive, though. It didn't cool. I'm out of here, deuces. Indianapolis Speedway is a sentimental place for all its accent on technical excellence and harsh reality. That sentiment was personified by the much admired owner of the track, Tony Holman, who died last autumn. There's been a lot of speculation and some mystery this month as to who would succeed Tony to utter the words, gentlemen, start your engines. New President Joe Cloutier said he would not be the one, but he would not reveal who it would be. Well, most appropriately, it is going to be the widow of Tony Hallman, Mary Hallman. There's Mrs. Hallman now, obviously moved by this moment. Lady, lady and gentlemen, start your engines. Sentimental moment at Indianapolis, Mrs. Mary Holman, another first for Indy. Not too many years ago, women were not even allowed in the pit. And now, race fast. We continue our same-day coverage of the Indianapolis the 500. It's time now for the words that are so familiar here, for years uttered by owner Tony Holman, now by his widow, Mrs. Mary Holman. Let's go down to trackside now. Chairman of the Board of Directors, Mrs. Tony Holman, uttering the words, used to be simply, gentlemen, start your engines. Now, of course, it's lady and gentlemen, start your engines in honor of Janet Guthrie, the only woman in the field, the other, only woman who has ever raced here. Look at A.J. Boyd. At a Join us next week for The Balance. In the meantime, check us out on Twitter, T-Balance, or Facebook, The Balance, or online at www.thebalanceonline.com.